If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 65. Psalm 65 has only 13 verses, so we're in good shape this morning. Now coming up on Saturday at 12.01 a.m., you will have 8,064 hours called a new year allotted to you. 8,064 hours to spend, invest, or waste any way you'd like. What are you going to do with that new year, with that 8,064 hours? How will it be spent? What's going to happen in this next year? For some, a birth. For others, a death. A move. A marriage. How are you going to face the next year. There was an elderly man on his deathbed. And he knew he didn't have much time, but it was one afternoon and he caught the aroma in his nostrils of his favorite chocolate chip cookies being baked downstairs. Well, it was enough to summon him to pull himself up out of his bed, lean himself against the wall, edge his way to the door, prop himself on the rail and inch his way all the way downstairs. He managed to open up the kitchen door and looking inside the kitchen on a table were hundreds of chocolate chip cookies lying out on newspapers, freshly baked. And he wondered, is this heaven? Is this one final act of love from a devoted wife who wanted to make sure her husband went out in style? What was it? He didn't know, but he managed to get enough energy to lunge toward the table and land on his knees in a crumpled form right in front of this table full of cookies. He looked at them. He smelt them. His parched lips parted. He began to salivate. It was like it was bringing him back to life. And as he put his withered hand to grab one of the cookies, his wife was there and smacked it with a spatula and said, leave them alone, they're for the funeral. (laughs) Poor guy. Poor guy. His future didn't look bright and he couldn't even enjoy his present circumstance of these cookies. What about your future? What about your year? One survey showed that most American adults are facing their future with doubt and fear. Not a feeling of invincibility, but a feeling of vulnerability. 52% have hope for the future. That's down from about a year ago where 69% had a feeling of hope for the future. Psalm 65, as you can see at the beginning, was written by David. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. We're going to look at all of this short psalm, but principally our focus is on the 11th verse this morning where we read, You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. What we want to look at this morning is how to face the new year. How to face the new year. There was a sign. It was posted in a psychiatrist's office 
that read, In two days, tomorrow will be yesterday. Good perspective. In two days, tomorrow will be yesterday. That means all of the things you energized over and worried about will be gone. In two days, tomorrow will be yesterday. I heard of a Christian woman whose favorite verse in the Bible, it's really not a verse, it's just a phrase of a verse. She said, my favorite verse in the Bible is the one where it says, and it came to pass. And somebody said, I don't get it. How could that be your favorite verse in the Bible, and it came to pass? She said, well, because I know that no matter what happens, even as bad as it gets, it hadn't come to stay, it's just come to pass. It's not going to stay. It has come to pass. Listen to the words of the 19th century preacher Henry Ward Beecher who said, We have passed through one more year, one more long stage in the journey of life with its ascents and descents, dust and mud and rocks and thorns and burdens that weary the shoulders is done. The old year is dead. Roll it away. Let it go. God in his providence has brought us out of it. And now we stand on the beginning of the next, the new. By God's grace, we have been what we have been. And by his grace, we shall have our experiences in the days to come. So let's start afresh. And Psalm 65 gives us a great pattern. We're going to look at all of it this morning. Let me give you, let me give you the setting. The setting of Psalm 65 is that it was written by David for one of the yearly celebrations in Israel, probably the fall feast of the Feast of Tabernacles, as the children of Israel would gather from all parts of the land down in Jerusalem in the temple for worship, the Feast of Tabernacles. What I want to give you this morning, and it's in your bulletin, is four ways to face this new year. And you might look at these four ways as four walls that give you the boundaries within which to live for this next year. Four ways to face the new year. The first way, and we'll look at the whole psalm for this, is to face the new year with the absence of complaining. With the absence of complaining. One of the things that marks Psalm 65 is there's, there's no complaints in it. Let's look at it. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And to you the vow shall be performed, O you who hear prayer. To you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who sit still the noise of the seas, the noise of their ways, and the tumult of the peoples, they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. 
You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and on the the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. It's a remarkable thing, but you read through the whole psalm, and there's not a word of complaint in the entire psalm. Now, that's not true of all of the psalms. Some of the psalms are what we call personal laments, kind of, woe is me, look at the situation I'm in. Some of the psalms are corporate, public laments, where the whole nation is saying, woe to us. There are even some psalms we call imprecatory psalms, where it's calling for God's vengeance upon people. But not in this psalm. No, this psalm is risen to higher ground. Instead of complaining, instead of murmuring, instead of pouring out some issue before God, there's the absence of complaining. And that's a good year, or it's a good way to face the coming year. Because of the truth in verse 11, you crown the year with your goodness. You ought to know that when David wrote this psalm, it's not that he is in denial. It's not that he is blind about what's going on in the world around him. In verse 3, he mentions sins and iniquities, so he's aware of that. He speaks in the same verse about the need for atonement from those sins and iniquities, so he's living in the real world. In verse 7, he speaks about international and multinational conflict, so he's aware of what's going on all around him in his world. But he chooses to write this psalm without any complaints at all, and that's the best way to face and even review the past year. Look back over this last year, two years. Maybe you have been going through an episode of pain or despair. Question, did bad things happen to you? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. Uh, Did you even think that perhaps you wouldn't make it through it? Yes. Is there evil abounding in the world? Yes, of course. But the issue is, don't live in denial of that. You can be aware of that. But the absence of complaining is important, and here's why. A complaining sheep is a disgrace to his shepherd. It's as if to say, you're not doing your job. You're not taking care of me the way you ought to be. There's another psalm that David wrote, perhaps his most famous. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or be in want, be in need. That's a statement. He's not living in denial. He's making a statement that because the Lord is my shepherd, he's doing his job. He's taking care of me. But... When we complain about our lot in life, we're complaining about the care of our shepherd. And others will then look at our lives and say, why should I follow your shepherd? You're never happy. You're always complaining. And there's not much of an incentive. There was a morning setting in a Christian home when the father piously opened his Bible and read something from it, and then he thanked God for his goodness and his love and his provision and said amen, and then he started 
talking about how bad the food was and berated his wife, that things weren't ready on time. And there was a little girl in the family who was listening to Dad. And she said very innocently, Daddy, did God hear you when you thanked him? Why, yes, he did. And uh, did God hear you when you complained about the food and Mommy? And he got nervous. He said, yeah, of course he did. Then, Daddy, which one did God believe? She asked. Which one did God believe? God takes complaining seriously. Did you know that? He takes it seriously. When Israel was delivered from Egypt and God cared for them in the desert, you know the story, year after year, generation after generation, they complained about God's care. And they complained so much that they became infamously known for their complaints against God. And it was even passed down in their history. For instance, in Numbers 14, it says, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? Later on, it shows up again in Psalm 106, years after the Exodus. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. It even shows up in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things became our examples that we shouldn't lust as they lusted. Nor should we become idolaters as some of them did. Nor involved in sexual immorality as some of them did. Nor should we complain as some of them did. It became something that they were known for throughout their history. Just remember, as somebody said, whenever you complain, half the people that hear you don't care. And the other half are glad you finally got what's coming to you. So how to face the new year with the absence of complaining. Number two, with the presence of praising. Look at verse one. Right off the bat, David says, praise is waiting for you or awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And to you the vow shall be performed. Now, if you were to analyze Psalm 65, the first part of the psalm is praising God for his spiritual blessings. The last part of the psalm is praising God for his natural blessings. So if you look at verse 2, he's praising God for answered prayer. In verse 3, he's praising God for atonement that is provided. In verse 4, he's praising God for God's approachability. I can come to God anytime. In verse 5, he's praising God for God's involvement in human affairs. Then he begins looking at the natural world around him and praises him for the natural blessings. For instance, in verse 6, the protection of the mountains. You have to kind of be in Jerusalem to get the setting. The natural defenses of the mountains around Jerusalem. He praises him for the waves of the ocean. Uh, Verse 8, for the universal consistency of sunrise and sunset, the day in and day out routine. Verses 9 through 10, and it's summed up in verse 11, David praises God for the, the hydrological cycle, the cycle of the sun and then the rain and the snow that melts and gives abundant Uh, water to the fields that bring forth abundant crops. Then the summary is in verse 11 through 13. You crown the year 
with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side, etc. In other words, I am praising God for his abundant provision. Now there's a point to be made. Praising and griping don't mix. There's something odd and inconsistent to be whining and then worshiping, isn't there? That's what James says in the New Testament. He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? There's parts of Mexico, a couple places in particular, where next to each other uh, is uh, boiling water out of the ground and then cold water, which is very convenient. Same place, boiling water and then cold water. And uh, some of the local gals do their laundry there. They'll boil their clothes in the hot water, they'll rinse them in the cold water, and uh, they'll go home. Clean laundry. One of the tourists to Mexico observed this and said to his guide, Wow, that's awesome. I'm sure the people must think God is generous to give them hot water and cold water next to each other for free. You know what the guide said? He said, no, senor, there is much grumbling that God doesn't provide soap. That's human nature, isn't it? There is much grumbling that God doesn't supply soap. You want to stop grumbling? Start praising. You want to stop whining? Start worshiping. You'll find that they really can't coexist. I remember one Christmas Eve several years ago at uh, our church in Albuquerque, this uh, fellow came up to me and he was quite put off. He says, the only thing I don't like about this church is that people come early and save seats. And I thought, you know, if he was really a worshiper of God, he wouldn't care because I found you can worship God in the front row or the back row, the side or the middle. God isn't confined to a seat, right? So the idea of it's Christmas Eve and I'm grumbling because somebody came early and took my seat is inconsistent. Just a month ago, it was we had Thanksgiving. It was a wonderful moment in our history because at the gas station and at the malls, everybody seemed on that day to be so happy. In fact, people would turn and go, Happy Thanksgiving. Smiles. What happened to that day? I'll tell you what happened. Christmas happened to that day. The season got very busy after Thanksgiving. And, the, and there were uh, vigilante drivers and Al-Qaeda shoppers and people just... The tension got huge. That's why I think we've got it wrong. I think we should have, not Thanksgiving Day, we should have officially gripe day. And that will be the one day a year we'll all get together and we'll whine and complain about the world and how that driver cut us off and it's not what it ought to be, etc., etc. Get it out of our system and spend 364 days a year praising and worshiping God because grumbling and worshiping are inconsistent together. That's the point that James make and also the psalm is filled with it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
is one of the best verses that sums that thought up. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Charles Spurgeon said this, I would rather be blind and deaf and dumb and lose my taste and smell than not to love Christ. To be unable to appreciate him is the worst of disabilities, the most serious of calamities. It is not the loss of a single spiritual faculty, but it proves the death of the soul. So, how to face the new year? With the absence of complaining, with the presence of praising? There's a third thing I want you to note in the psalm. With confidence abounding. The entire psalm is God-centered. If you were to count up all the time David uses the word you in speaking to God, it would be noteworthy. We won't go through the whole psalm, but notice a few verses. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. Notice this part. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. It's a great word in Hebrew. It's the word mibtach, confidence, mibtach. It means security. You are the security of everyone on earth. It also means firmness. In the midst of an unstable world, you make our feet stand firm. It could also be translated safety. You're our safety net. There's a lot of talk these days about homeland security. Mibtach is that sense of security that I get as I face the future, though I don't know what it is because I know the one controlling the future. Sense of safety, security, firmness. The psalm is full of that. David is confident that God will answer his prayer, verse 2 and verse 5. David is confident that God will provide atonement for his people that sin, verse 3. He's confident that God's people will be cared for and thus contented, In verse 4, he's confident that God will sustain him from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. That's verse 11. Here's the point. David didn't know what the year would bring. He didn't, didn't matter. He knew God knew. That was enough. Confidence, firmness, security was abounding. Corey ten Boom used to say, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I don't know what lies ahead. Good. Aren't you glad? You'd run if you did. So trust the unknown future to the hands of a known God. Now we start to see a pattern emerge here. Here's the pattern in the psalm. Once we know God, we know who he is because his benefits and his character is described in the psalm. In knowing God, that breeds a confidence in God. In other words, once I know God... I start trusting God. And once I trust God, I start praising God. Once I start praising God, that banishes all complaints. And that's the pattern of this psalm. So because David begins at the right starting point, you, God, yours, 
he ends at the right resting point. Ah, it's okay. Because he begins at the right starting point. Okay, here we are. Saturday, 12.01 begins, 8,064 hours. It's the new year. What's your starting point? What are you trusting in? The United Nations? The United States government? If that's your starting point, it's downhill from here. If your starting point is God, you'll have a good resting point. If you've looked around lately at our world, it's very unstable. It's a very unstable place. So for me to live rightly in this world created by God and then rebelled against God, I have to start with God. If I want to have a great year, I have to begin with Him. That's my starting point. That's my confidence. Novelist H.G. Wells once said, Until man has found God, he begins at no beginning, and he works to no end. Even the atheist Bertrand Russell, who infamously mocked God, said, Unless somebody assumes God, the whole question of the purpose and meaning of life is irrelevant. So I like to look at life like a vertical and a horizontal axis. The horizontal axis is our relationship with everything on the earth, under the sun, with people, moms, dads, kids, neighbors, friends, church people. Then you've got this axis that is vertical. It's my relationship with God. And that these two axes are together. They're fixed. If one moves, the other moves. So as long as my relationship with God is right, it's fixed, everything on this end is going to be pretty good. If this is out of balance, my relationship with God, every other relationship in life will be out of balance. You want confidence. Be able to say what he says in Psalm 5 or in Psalm uh, 65, verse 5. You are the confidence, the mibtach, steadfast, firm safety of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas. Now look at verse 11. One more time. You crown the year with your goodness, your goodness, and your paths. That is, as I walk upon your paths that you set for me, Lord, they drip with abundance. That's my prayer for you this year. That's my prayer. That's not a positive confession, by the way, because your year is going to have some difficult times and turns and twists. But what are you going to focus on? The path the Lord sets out that drips with abundance, or are you going to focus on, yeah, but there's some bumps on this path. This is the path God chose for me. I, I don't like that bump. You know, there, there are those people that focus only on the bumps in the road, not the abundance that the road has to offer, not the view. There's a monastery in Spain, Mount Sarat, Spain. And it's one of those monasteries where the young monks take a vow of silence. So here was the deal. You could join the monastery and you could speak only two words every two years. The guy understood it. He joined up. Spent two years there. After two years, he was brought in the office. He was allowed to speak his two words. He said, food, terrible. And he went for another two years in that monastery. And now after four years... He went into the office and he was allowed two more words. And he said, bed, lumpy. 
And he spent two more years in that monastery. Now he's been there six years. And after the sixth year, he was allowed two more words. He went to the office and he said, I quit. And his superior said, really doesn't surprise me because ever since you've been here, all you've done is complain, complain, complain. Compare that attitude with you crown the year with goodness and your paths drip with abundance. Fourth and finally, and we close with this, the way to face the new year is with with excellence directing you. Excellence directing you. Did you notice in verse 1? And to you the vow shall be performed. You know what a vow is? It's a promise. Uh, It's a promise that says we will conform or we will obey. Here's the theme of the psalm. I know you've picked up on this already. The whole psalm basically says all of nature is responding to God, whether it's mountains, snow, the hydrological cycle, the water, the fields, the crops, all of nature responds to God in obedience. And David is saying this, as for me this year, this human that you have created is submitted to you, will honor and glorify and be obedient to perform your will. So we stand on the threshold of a new year. Typically, this is the time for a New Year's resolution. I say, let's make a New Year's revolution. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. Some of us need a root system change, a New Year's revolution. It's typically the time people swear off, you know, bad habits, old habits, take on new habits. I'm really going to work out this year. I'm really going to get in shape. Whatever it might be, we make those resolutions. And it's not bad. In fact, it's good to stand before God at the beginning of the year and say, praise is waiting for you, God, right here. And this human being this year is going to place you as paramount and predominant, number one, And here is my promise to you, not that I'm going to make it in my own flesh, but with your strength directing. I'm going to live this year in excellence because, God, you deserve the best. You deserve the best. You don't deserve a mediocre commitment. You deserve the best. You deserve excellence in my worship, excellence in my human relationships, excellence in my witness, excellence in nurturing my family. That's what I'm going to do by your strength. Dr. Howard Kelly, a world-renowned surgeon. In fact, he was the guy that started radium treatments in surgical procedures. Young Christian man graduating out of medical school. The night before he graduated, he wrote in his journal, I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities, my ambitions, and everything to him. Bless, Lord, and sanctify me to thy uses Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to my Savior. How's that for a successful surgeon's commitment to his God? So listen, God will take care of your future. He'll crown your year with abundance. In the meantime, you just give him your best. Whatever your hand finds to do this year, do it with all your heart. Give him your best. If God's led you in it, give it your best. If it's a path God puts you on, don't worry about the bump. Do it with excellence. When you hear the name Stradivarius, what do you think? Junk? You hear the term Stradivarius, you think what? Excellence. It's the best. You know why? 
There was a philosophy that Antonius Stradivarius lived with. He said, there will be no instrument sold from my shop that doesn't leave my shop until it's as near perfect as humanly possible. That was his attitude. You know why? He said this, God needs violins to send his music into the world. And if any violins are defective, God's music will be spoiled. And he summed up his philosophy of making music by saying, Other men will make violins, but no man shall make a better violin. So we're on the threshold. The new year is before us. We have just a few more days to finish out the 8,064 hours. Saturday, 12.01 a.m., new start, new slate. Isn't that great? How are you going to do it? I hope with the absence of complaining, with the presence of praise and worship and thanksgiving. And I pray also with confidence in God abounding. You're my security, Lord. And with excellence directing you, I'm going to give it him my best. Thomas Edison was 67 years old when his laboratory in New Jersey burnt to the ground and most of his great experiments lost. 67 years old. You'd think that'd be devastating to him. No. He said, there's great value in disaster. All your mistakes are burned up. And it's time for a new start. Isn't that a great way to look at it? So, year be gone. We have a whole new one coming up. What will God do? Let's watch.